This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Good morning, everybody. We are making our way to the end of Genesis now. We're in Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, from, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested, by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, 
and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And in their, and at this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they turned to their father and saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you will take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Shoal. Thank you, Kat. She just read the longest passage I think that we will read and have read in the book of Genesis, and she did it well. So welcome back to the sisters and the daughters who were at the beach last weekend for the women, women's retreat. I've heard good things about the retreat and glad that you're back with us today. So today we're looking at a test sandwich, if you will, because Joseph's test of the brothers is the meat of this passage. What does jo- why does Joseph and ultimately God test the brothers, right? It's the same reason why God tested Joseph. And it's the same reason why God God tests you and me. Psalm 66.10 sums it up well. It says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have tried us or you have refined us as silver is refined. God's tests that we go through reveals to us. God knows it already. God's not looking to, to find information. It reveals to us what's in our heart, what's in our minds, and what's in our lives so that through our confession and our submission to God and others, we can be refined and made faithful. You know, Joseph was tested first in the pit and then in, the, in, the pot, in Potiphar's house and then finally in the prison, and he was shown to be faithful. God gave him favor. We've read that over and over, but he received that favor. God gives us favor too as well. He gives us grace. All that we've ever known as we've sung what it was grace and is grace. So now it's the brothers' turn to be tested, right? Have they failed miserably already? Yes. 
But aren't you glad that God's, God does not destroy his people when they fail miserably? How many of us would be here, right? These men had to be tested. They had to be humbled. If the nation of which they will be the founders, if you will, they will be the baseline for the nation, they have to be tested so they will be faithful uh, in God's sight. So once again, we see the grace of God in Genesis. God could have started over with Joseph. Because that's, that's it. All right, the ten, you guys blew it. I'm done with you. I'm just starting over with Joseph. I'm going to create a new line from Joseph. He didn't do that because of his amazing grace. I thought of Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, it will probably take less time to preach this than it did for her to read it. So we're just going to go through this very quickly. Three main points, Canaan, Egypt, and Canaan again. The years of plenty are done. And we're now around two years into the famine, all right? So it's been about seven years since Joseph interpreted the dreams to the Pharaoh. According to biblical scholarship, somewhere around seven years since that happened, right? So they're two years into that, and Jacob finds out somehow that there's grain for sale in Egypt. And he, he, says, he says to his sons who are sitting in the living room, that classic dad line, right? Why do you look at one another? What's another way of saying that? Why are you just sitting there doing nothing? Hey, you who still live in your parents' house, have you ever heard that? I hope so. <laughs> I bet you have, and I hope you'll hear it more often. Why are you sitting there when there's work to be done? I remember as a, as a child, me and my two brothers were sitting in front of the TV on a Saturday morning watching what? Cartoons, absolutely. Bugs Bunny, I mean, can't, can't get any better than that, right? And my dad would walk in and say, basically, what are you guys doing? And he would give us three things. He would give us a truth and then a command, and then he would give motivation. Here's the truth that the father gave to them. There's grain for sale in Egypt. I heard it. It's true. Second, the command, go down and buy grain for us. Look, we're hungry, right? Third, the motivation, that we may live and not die. My father would say, it's time for Saturday chores, command, get up and get moving. And we would grumble and talk about how we feel. And then his, his motivation would be, I can change the way you feel. The 10 brothers got up, they got going. And Moses is careful to tell us that the youngest, the only son left to Jacob from who? Who was the mother? Rachel, right? At the end, he says, he's the only one left. Kind of makes the other 10 feel bad, right? But anyway, that's the, way, that's the way Jacob looked at it. He had two sons, really, that he loved more than life itself. He lost one of them. He was not going to let the other one go to, to Egypt. Who knows what's happening in Egypt? Yeah, we we'll get, might get grain, but we might lose our, our son, my son. And so he stays with dad. It's been about 20 years since Jacob lost his favorite son, the child of promise, the one a coat of many colors, almost 20 years, and he's still grieving that loss, as I'm sure a parent does for the rest of their life. You know, kids are not supposed to die before their parents. My mom told me that at the death of both of my brothers when she, uh, she grieved the rest of her life for them. But Jacob is still grieving his loss, and he's holding on for dear life to his new favorite son. So the brothers make it to Egypt in about 10 days. It was a 10-day journey or so, and they find that the rest of the world has come there as well. So that's Canaan. Now let's move to the second part, Egypt. Joseph, the governor, that's what he's called, or, or there are other names for him, but, but he's the second man in, in charge, and Pharaoh's giving him everything in the country is, is you, except for the throne, 
You, are, you have all of power and authority in your hands, right? And he's unrecognizable to his brothers. He looks like an Egyptian governor. And he has become an Egyptian for all intents and purposes. He, he dresses like one, he shaves like one, and he speaks as one does. And he is the Egyptian leader in charge of grain. And the brothers come and, and they see all these people lining up to stand in front of this man. And so they get in line and they wait their turn. And when they get to him, what do they do? I love this. They bowed themselves to before him with their faces to the ground. Hey guys, dream number one fulfilled. Their sheaves bow down to his sheaf. There it is. Joseph remembered this dream. He recognizes his brothers. And this is where the tests begin. He speaks through an interpreter because he doesn't want them to recognize him yet, right? He doesn't want to let them know that he understands Hebrew. It's going to come in handy later in the chapter, isn't it? That he knows what they're saying to one another. And so he's speaking to them in Egyptian. He's being interpreted by someone who understands Hebrew to them. The interpreter doesn't know Joseph speaks Hebrew either, probably. And so he, he says, he speaks to an interpreter, and of course, he accuses them first of being spies, spies now this is the first of three times when these brothers are going to feel terror in their hearts let's not under let's not undercut this this is this would be a moment of absolute sheer terror because the ruler the second man in charge of the greatest kingdom on earth the, the most powerful nation on the earth has just accused you of being a spy what happens to spies in a foreign country Right, they expect to be summarily executed within minutes. Right, they're not thinking that they're going to be told to cool it for three three days in a prison. No, they're going to be they're going to be beheaded very quickly. So this is the first of those three panics. We'll get to the others, uh, but they they are are about to be executed, and they, and he says, no, no, we're not spies. And he says, no, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And what does that mean? I didn't know what that meant until this week when I realized. One commentator said, this may be true, may not be true, but I think it makes sense that to say you've come to spy out the nakedness of the land is you've come from another country to see where our weaknesses are. Where are we vulnerable to attack? That's why you're here. You're not here for grain. You're here to see where you can go back to your armies, to your commanders, and they can come in and take over our nation at this vulnerable point in our Place. At this point, the brothers make two critical mistakes. Did you see those in the, in the text? Two criti- critical mistakes, which leads to Joseph increasing the heat under the test tube in which they find themselves at this moment. They say, we are honest men. We know, and Ju- Joseph knew, that they were anything but. Right? They were hiding a big lie at that moment from themselves and, of course, from him, although they didn't know that it was Joseph. And then they say, this is the second mistake, they say there's another brother at home, (laughs) right? And one is no more. See, Benjamin was born before Joseph was was sold into slavery. So he knew about Benjamin, but Benjamin was was a baby, uh, we believe, when Joseph was sold. And so he, he finds out now, oh, so my brother's still alive. And he's, what, 20 years old now at least. 
And so the test heats up even more. And Joseph uses the word twice in verses 15 and 16. Twice he says, by this you shall be tested. The word means literally to search out, to examine, to try, and to prove. It's the same verse in Psalm 66.10, which I quoted to you earlier. Psalm 66.10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. So Joseph says, you're going to be tested. They don't know why he's testing them. They think it's because he's accused them of being a spy. He knows he's testing them to see if there's any remorse, any repentance, any conscience even in these men. This is where the brothers and Joseph change roles. I like this quote from Alan Ross. Think about this. The oppressed became the oppressor. The spy, Joseph's spying on these brothers. They don't know who he is accused the brothers of being spies. And the one who had been thrown into prison by his brothers, he put them into prison. Role reversal. Why is Joseph doing this? And I think this is the meat of this whole thing. Why is Joseph doing this? Does he love his brothers? I think we see that he does. He, he, he does not do to them what they deserve. He gives them grace just as God gives us grace. He loves them. But what he's trying to do here, by God leading him, is what we all need to do, is to have our consciences awakened. He's trying to awaken their consciences, and he's not wanting to do that so he can punish them, but so he can restore them. Remember, Joseph is a type of Christ. He could have these brothers, he could have had them all executed right there on the spot and said, you did it to me, and now I'm doing it to you. You sold me into slavery, I'm ending your life, and you deserve it. He didn't do that because Christ doesn't do that for us. And so he's, he's awakening their conscience. Why? To help these self-proclaimed honest men to, for the first time in 20 years, take a look in the mirror, an honest look in the mirror to see who they really are, what they really did, and what they have become as a result of that sin. His goal is to not to punish, but to restore them. He tells them all to stay with him until one returns with the younger brother back home. Well, first he says, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be thrown into prison. He puts them in custody, in prison for three days. Why do you think Joseph did that? Why would Joseph have put these, three, these ten brothers together? He didn't separate them. They had to stew in their own thoughts. He put them together for three days in prison, or in custody. I believe it's probably a prison. I think it's like what Dick likes to say, so that they would pause and reflect. They had three days. Wouldn't you love to know what they talked about during those three days? I would love to have been a fly on the wall just to hear. Maybe we'll hear that, see that video in heaven too, Vic, you referred to. to just to see, what was it like for you guys in, in that prison? What were you talking about? Because I don't think they were planning their escape. I don't think they were planning of how they were going to overpower Egypt, right, and, and get out of there as free men. That would be a movie, a Hollywood movie. It wouldn't be a, a real thing, right? Uh, what's his name? Wasn't with them. Bruce Willis. He wasn't there. None of the other guys. These guys did not have a particular set of skills that was going to help them get out of prison, all right? So they're pausing and they're reflecting, and I think, I think that when they, they came out of there, they, they didn't have a plan except we, we've got to listen to what this man has to say. We've got to listen very carefully. 
when they're released, I think Joseph may have shocked them because he says in, in effect, all right, guys, I'm not going to keep all of you here. I've changed my mind. He didn't say this in the text, but I think this is what he said. I'm not keeping you all, but I'm keeping one of you. And he bound Simeon. And, and that's interesting, too, because I think Simeon was probably the, the, maybe the instigator of throwing him in the pit. But he bound Simeon, and he holds him, and he says, So your words will be verified, and you will not die. But before he says that, he says to them, I fear God. Now, he did not say, as an Egyptian would have said, I fear Ra, or I fear any number of the other Egyptian deities that the people of Egypt worship. You know what he said here, literally? He, he said it in Egyptian, and the, her interpreter interpreted it in Hebrew. He said, I fear Elohim. He uses the name of their God in referring to his fear of God. Now, they don't know that. They say, oh, this must be Joseph. They don't get that. But that must have shocked them that this man is saying he fears our God, the God, the God who created all things. And then he tells them, so you, your words will be verified. I'm keeping one of you. And that's when the crack in their hearts happens. They say to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. Conscience awakens. We are guilty. Confession stated. We killed our brother. And then, then, the, then they admit that their brother had begged them and they did not listen. Remember, we talked about that earlier. When Joseph was thrown in the pit, he didn't just stoically take it like, I guess I deserve this or whatever. No, he cried. He wept for his brothers not to leave him there to die. And then I'm sure when they pulled him out to sell him, he, he, he beseeched them again. And they say, remember, we, remember when he, he cried and, and we didn't listen. And then Reuben says, I told you not to sin against him. That is why this is happening to us. Derek Kidner says, a taste of retribution was awakening feelings which a brother's and a father's tears had left totally untouched. For 20 years, they had heard the grief and seen the grief. They saw the tears for, for perhaps months after Joseph was dead, at least in, in Jacob's mind. And that never moved them. It never awakened their conscience. For 20 years, their hearts were hardened against what they had done. They had justified it to themselves in some way. And now, those feelings are being awakened. Meanwhile, Joseph understands every word they're saying, and so he has to turn away and weep. So when he turns back, he, he's ready to start the second test. Okay, it's not enough just to see that their conscience has been moved. Maybe they still feel some remorse for what they've done. But will they now take the next step and be faithful men of God? They're contrite over their sins, but will they be faithful and obedient to do what is commanded? His end goal was what? His end goal was to get the whole family to Egypt. He loved his dad. He loved his, his brothers. He wants to get them all there, but not till they're ready. Not till they're ready to come in the right manner. So he tested them again. What's the second test? He has to, his servant put their money back in the bags. They come with money from Canaan. They paid for their grain with that money. And then the servant put that money right back into the mouth of their bags. Test number two, right? Will they, will they keep the money and keep quiet about it? Or will this also be 
a test that, that proves their faithfulness and their honesty. I've told you this before, but when I give a quiz, the first quiz I give to my class at Elon, I'll say, all right, you're taking two quizzes today. And I, look, I see looks of horror, like two quizzes. We only knew about one. I said, no, I have a good, good news. You're taking these two quizzes concurrently. Does anybody know what that means? And at least one of them will say, at the same time, I think that means, yeah, 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 concurrently. I'll say, you're taking a quiz on public speaking, and you're taking a quiz on integrity, honesty, morality. Hey, if you have to fail one of those quizzes, which one should you fail? Somebody will say, public speaking? I say, yes, every day, twice on Sunday. Don't fail the other one. That will ruin your whole day, right? Don't be looking at somebody else's paper. So what Joseph is doing here is, will they be honest about this money, or will they find it and say, whoa, check this out. We're not going to tell Dad about this. We got, some, we got some easy cash here, free money. So when they stop for the night, what happens? One of the brothers opened his bag to get some grain for his animals, and he finds the money in his bag. Now, did Joseph intend for that to happen? I'm not sure, but this is the second time that terror strikes the hearts of these brothers because when they see that he has his money, they don't know what happened, but they know they're in big trouble. They are, are trembling with fear over that. That's good. That's a good thing. It was a test of their character, and they, they passed. And on that first night, they're trembled. They say, what is this that God has done to us? It's the first time they mentioned God. Reuben says, you shouldn't have done it. I told you guys not to do it. But this is the first time they, as brothers, say, what is God doing? Why is God doing this to us? So their conscience is awakened. Now their sights are looking at, their eyes are looking up now instead of around at each other. They're looking at God. It's good. It's good. We're heading in the right direction, guys. They're broken again because of their sin, and now they recognize the hand of God in their trial. Remember when David said in Psalm 51, against you, God, against you only have I sinned. Now, we know he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. But David understood in Psalm 51 what these guys are seeing, that every sin ultimately is a sin against God. We've sinned against God. They could have recited the first verse of Psalm 60, but it hadn't been written yet. Oh God, you have rejected us. You have broken us down. You have been angry. And oh God, please restore us again. He breaks through our defenses, saints, to show us that our only defense is his mercy, which he freely gives. These guys have been depending on their own wit and their own cunning and their own guile and their own defenses and God broke them down at that first night stop. And they realized God's at work here. So David again, Psalm 51, 17, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So that leads us to the last point. Canaan, again, they're back in Canaan. The first thing the brothers did when they returned to Jacob was to tell him everything. Well, they didn't. They didn't tell him about their confession of sin against Joseph, did they? Jacob still doesn't know Joseph is still alive. Of course, they don't know it either. All they know is a slave somewhere. They didn't tell him about the money they'd found in one of the bags. They just told him what the man in Egypt had said to them. It's a hard work that's still in progress with those guys, right? Just like yours and just like mine. 
Then they open their bags, and what happens? The third tear, they find all of their money still in the bags. It's been replaced in the bags, and they are terrified. You know, it just made me wonder this week. I wonder if God led them through these three moments of absolute sheer terror because that's what Joseph had felt three times. Once when he was thrown into the pit to die, twice when he was sold as a slave in Egypt, and third time thrown into prison and forgotten for at least two years. Three times Joseph's heart was broken and terrified, and now three times the brothers have felt just a flash of that. But we do know what Jacob is thinking when he sees and hears that Simeon is bound in Egypt, and they've been told to go back there with his favorite son, Benjamin. <laughs> he says, you have bereaved me of my children. He doesn't know how right he is, does he? And, and, and he's not, he doesn't yet understand God's mercy in all this. Kidder again writes that the brother's reaction to finding the first bag of money was, as far as it goes, a model of fruitful reaction to trouble. What is God doing in this, they ask. While Jacob can see no farther than the trouble itself, all he can see so far is the trouble. It's a good word. We have to be willing to see past the trial and see the reason for the trial, for the trouble that we're in, if we can. Because sometimes God reveals us, this, this is why you're going through this trial. He reveals it to us. Sometimes he doesn't. If not, we can still say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, wrapping it up. The chapter ends with Reuben offering, strangely, to let Jacob kill his sons if Reuben does not bring back Jacob's favorite son, Benjamin. Now, that's strange, but let's just look at it like this. Let's give Reuben the benefit of the doubt that he was willing to do anything to restore Benjamin back to his father he loved his father. He did not want to see his father go through grief again. So he's even willing to sacrifice his own sons. Of course, Jacob is resolute in saying to Reuben, no way, you guys are not taking Benjamin. So don't worry about it, Reuben. Your sons are fine because you're not taking Benjamin back to Egypt. We'll have to wait till after Easter to see what happens. Let's, what can we take away from this passage? Number one, it's the mercy of God when our conscience is awakened and we acknowledge our sin. God will work with broken and contrite hearts, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, these you will not despise. It's the mercy of God when our conscience is awake. That's why when we're dealing with our children's sins, we don't just spank them for behavior. We appeal to their hearts. We want them to have the conscience uh, uh, awakened to, this is why I did this. This is why I lied. This is why I hit my brother. This is why I stole something. There is heart, is heart issues. And of course, our conscience is hardened by our sin if we continue to ignore that. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, I know it's there and I don't do anything about it, the Lord will not hear me. We don't want to get to that place, do we? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Of course, he hears us when we cry out to him for mercy. Number two, God's people who know their sins are in a place to do what God requires of them to walk in faithfulness. Now these guys are at the place where when they go back to Egypt and they see their brother face to face, they're still going to be terrified. They're still going to fear that he's going to execute justice on them, but they will come to realize that God had done all of this, that God had even acted 
through their sinfulness, God had even provided a way to restore or to save the people of God in Canaan through Egypt. Finally, God's people who have been hurt by others, even family or close friends, can always, by God's grace, forgive and sometimes even enjoy restored fellowship. I know that sometimes we can't. You forgive someone, but that fellowship is never restored. Why? Because Paul said in Romans 12, for as much as it depends on you, live in peace with all men. He wouldn't have said it that way if there's times when, in fact, we can't live in peace with all men because they refuse to receive the fellowship that we want to have with them again. We forgive them, but they hold on to their unforgiveness. And, of course, Joseph has taken the first step here to restore fellowship with his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for this passage because as Joseph took the first step to restore fellowship with his brothers, you took the only step necessary to restore fellowship with us. You laid down your life on the cross as we will look at next week at the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that, on that, uh, that first Sunday morning, if you will, when life was restored and where sin was broken and where death was, was defeated. So, Lord, we're thankful for this story as we look forward to that story, the greatest story of all time. And now as we look at, to communion, Lord, bless this time as we break bread together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.